Welcome to the FNO InsureTech Podcast, a place where movers and shakers from all points within the insurance ecosystem gather and discuss all things InsureTech. We talk about how technology and innovation are affecting and driving change in the industry. Here are your hosts, Lee Boyd and Rob Beller. Hey, podcast world, you guessed it. It's another episode of FNO InsureTech, your favorite podcast, bar none. Out of all the podcasts. Of all the, of the literally hundreds of thousands or maybe millions of podcasts that there are in the world, we know this is your favorite. We know it. And why else would you be listening to it if it wasn't your favorite? Right. Right. It's hot off the press. You're listening. Joe Rogan listens to it. Probably. You can't Every, prove he doesn't. Everybody listens to our podcast. Um, yeah. Conan O'Brien, probably. Conan O'Brien listens to our podcast. Yeah. Jimmy Fallon listens Jimmy, to our podcast. Probably, probably. Uh huh. Barack Obama. Yeah. Donald Trump. Yeah, we assume. We assume. No, no. They they called me and told me. Oh, you know. And okay. uh, let's see. Uh, we're the intrepid uh, searchers of truth. So let's go on. All things, we, we, all things true on this podcast. We have uh, the CEO of our company doesn't miss an episode. Yeah. Yeah. That could be true also. We're back. We're here with another incredible, amazing, thoughtful, and memorable episode. And maybe the first member of the four time club. I think it is. I think it's I, the four time club. Yeah. Would, I mean, what do we call it? We just call it the uh, smoking jacket club. That's five times. Oh. Until we get somebody who's been on five times, and then we make it the six-time club. <laughs> we just keep, yeah, we just keep pushing it out. Because with our budget, we'd like to give them a, the smoking jacket. Nice one. Really nice one. Yeah. There's just one problem. Right. We have no budget. None. But today is a super exciting, and you normally say it even bigger at the ep- at the beginning, but it is a great episode. It is a, a long-time guest. Super, super episode. Okay, you're going. Keep going. Well, today we have Mike Fulton, president of, oh dear, I don't even Property know. Property Estimating Solutions. Well, you see that changed, and he's going to talk about that. So Property Estimating Solutions at very risk. Right, right. Mike is back on. Like we said, we normally get to talk to Mike right after the conference. Right after he walks off stage, he walks right to our booth, and then we get to talk to him. Uh but here we are a few months out, and and we're going to get to talk to him about what's going on there at Verisk, what's going on at Property Estimating Solutions, formerly known as Exactware. We're going to get to talk about what it's like working uh, post-COVID, uh, in, in office, out of office. We're going to get to talk about all sorts of things. And for all you startups out there, this is a company uh, founded in 1986 that was one of the first maybe the first, who knows, insure tech, one of the first. One of the and first. today is a company that produces millions and millions and millions of dollars of revenue. Yeah. And part of a larger company that produces billions of dollars of revenue. And so this is what your little startup, your crazy little startup can become. It, it can It's become. possible. Stick with it. Stay with it. You could become this. And Mike has been with Verisk for almost the entire journey and has yeah. wonderful perspective and background and know-how. The man knows the industry maybe as well or better than anybody, and we're honored to have him on again. Yeah, I'm excited. Why don't we jump into the interview? Go ahead, say it. I'll say it. So without further ado, here's our episode with Mike Fulton, President of Property Estimating Solutions at Verisk. Hey, everybody. We're here once again with the guy who's been on our podcast the most, besides Lee and I. Yeah, is yep. that fair? That's probably... I would say I would say his name has been dropped by far the most okay. on this Ouch. podcast. Okay. All good. All well, good. I'm hoping we're, that's a compliment. It is. We'll find out in a minute. Mike Fulton, president of Exactware, president of Property Estimating Solutions at Verisk. Yes, sir. Not the president of Exactware, the president of Property Estimating Solutions. 
Yes, formerly the artists, formerly known as Exactware. Uh huh. Uh huh. So this is the first time we've had a podcast since the the official name change. The mm-hmm. sunset of Exactware, as Did, I read on the website. Are people getting used to it? How's that going? So this is my first rodeo, I guess, for lack of a better word, going down and doing this type of a thing from a branding shift. And I'll tell you, when when Exactware was acquired by what was then the ISO organization, later became the Verisk organization, you know, the model at that point was, hey, we, we, we acquired all these great brands. Let's just keep them in place. Uh, and, you know, Exactware's got quite the brand. But what's got a greater brand recognition yeah. than Exactware is actually the product, Exactimate. Uh, yeah. An exact analysis. Uh, and so with that understanding, you know, the company's trying to align things. There was a lot of discussion on whether we should be a house of brands versus a branded house. Okay. Uh, and landed on the latter Ooh, like that. Uh, of the two. I think there's some real positive aspect to it. It does take some time, though. I mean, it takes some time to shift the muscle memory. Property estimating solutions is a lot more syllables than exactware. Uh, and people have to get get used to that. And I think the transition that we're trying to put forward now is is to brand us as property estimating solutions with a parenthetical after it that says Exactware, at least for the first year or so. So I think yeah. it's going well. I mean, you could always say, could it be going better? Sure. And, and there's yeah. a lot of people that that will always come up and say, well, you know, gosh, why did you guys do that? It's always a debate. I feel good about it. I mean, I've been with the organization. I'm in my 30th year. Believe wow. it or not. So, I mean, wow. you, you, you cut me, I bleed X's at this point. So it's something yeah. I've got to get, <laughs> got to get past, but, but it's okay. I think it's important. It's not the actual product that's changing. It's just the name, right? It's just yeah. that exact word name. You still offer the same product. It's still yeah, the there. brands it's are still a, there from a product perspective. Yeah. Right. Although the product changes on a regular basis. Well, uh, well, yes. Fair to say. Incremental change, innovation will always continue. But the product name, ideally where the brand exists and the brand recognition is, should stay. We were talking offline before we started today. And this is the great thing about having Mike on. He's thoughtful and has ideas and opinions about things. And we were talking about I think it's fair to say we're coming out of COVID. That's a <laughs> that's probably a two year process in its own right. Yeah. Um, but certainly things aren't, uh, aren't, aren't where they've been. Like, for example, I was at my daughter's house and she had her cleaning ladies were over and they had been, they'd been coming to her house all through COVID with masks on and they didn't wear masks today. And that kind of really struck me. And so things, things are evolving. And so give us a minute on how things are changing for you guys for Verisk property estimating solutions in a slowly, but surely post COVID world. Yeah, it's a timely question. I think it's not just us. I think it's everybody in the tech space or everybody that has the ability, frankly, to to service their customers and collaborate amongst their teams in a remote situation. How do you migrate back into the old world? And by that same token, what is the new world? I, I, I hesitated for so long to say the new normal, but I mean, guess what? We're still trying to figure that out. Yeah. But you know we've got a we've got a large building footprint um, in in our area. We got multiple satellite offices, but our primary footprint is there in Lehigh, Utah. We got a we've got a two hundred thousand square foot building, had close to seven hundred employees uh, in that building. Pre COVID, you know we were pushing capacity, and you know so it's hard when you hit start hitting 90% capacity in a space like that. Things will slow down because you're trying to shift bodies around and keep teams together so that they can collaborate uh, and so on. And, you know, pre-COVID, we were thinking, man, we're going to have to evaluate whether we either move into what we call a desk sharing and move people into a hybrid situation or we're going to have to lease additional space. Uh, And then COVID happened and, you know, we found, you know, with, with some exceptions, yes, we can manage people in a remote situation. We can onboard people in a remote situation and people can be productive uh, in a remote situation. And now as we're coming back in, and like you said, Rob, thankfully coming out of this thing, you know, it's how many people are going to continue to want to work work 100% remote Yeah. and how many are going to want to be in office and how many days are they going to want to be in office? And what do we as a management team, what limits do we want to put on that? You know, if you're within, there are businesses that are saying, look, if you're, 
if you're within X number of miles of the building, you're expected to be in office. Um, we're not necessarily doing that. Um, we're saying that if, you know, there are other businesses that are saying we are expecting everybody to be in only two days a week and no more than that. And, you know, there are employees who don't have perhaps the best situation to work from home. You right. know, whether they're sharing an apartment mm-hmm. with somebody else or, or whatever. And so it's to their benefit to be in office five days a week. So we're, we're trying to be flexible uh, with it. But I mean, in the end, what it's looking like now is that we don't, we don't need 200,000 square feet. You know, we've got to look at right sizing for today and then plan on growth. And do we expect this thing to change? I mean, we're probably in the, you know, out of the 700 plus local employees, there's, there's a hundred give or take that want to be 100% remote and the rest of them, you know, want to be for the most part hybrid, meaning two to three days a week. And we're, yeah, we're going to be flexible with that. And we're going to move into what's called a desk sharing, office sharing, or some call it hoteling where people just you know, your, your, your manager is coordinating. And if, if Mike's going to be in office on Monday and Wednesday, and Lee's going to be in office on Tuesday and Thursday, and, you know, perhaps we use the same desk. Yeah. I mean, so, so what is your desire? I mean, what do you think is, is the right work at home, work in office um, mix? Is it, is it better to have people in the office? Is, Is that a better environment? You know, in the tech space, and I could see it. I went to college to become a computer programmer, to be a, be an engineer. Yeah. And I thought, you know, I'd like this. I was in the construction industry at the time and I wanted to get an, a, a, you know, a secondary education and went in to learn. And this was back in 1980, actually late 1980s. So okay. the, the PC was just starting to come up and a lot of, a lot of developers coming into the, into the industry. And I just, I decided that wasn't for me. I, I liked, I like interacting with people. Yeah. You know, like yeah. this is great face to face, even better. Right. Um, but there are some people that are really, really good at being a computer engineer and they don't want distractions, man. I mean, they are, they're focused on this thing. And yeah. those, those are great examples of people that can be highly productive working from home, even more so. I agree. I mean, there are some people, there are some jobs out there that really lend themselves to just being in that tunnel and just focusing you know, yeah. on the work, but there's a lot of jobs, a lot of management jobs where you need that, that collaborative work environment. Yes. You need that little bit of overheard, right? I overheard you had this problem. I can help with that. Or I also have that problem. Maybe we can work together to solve it. And those right. are the things you miss. Well, and I, and certainly you mentioned managers and I think managers ought to be in office because mm-hmm. even though their entire team might frankly be 100% remote, Managers should be collaborating with other managers and they should be collaborating with their directors and their AVPs uh, and so on. But I'm, I'm the same way. I mean, if I'm in a group environment, I can stand up and lean over the cubicle and ask somebody a question, especially somebody that's new. And this is what's hard is getting somebody to feel like they are part of the organization, part of the team. Mm -hmm. You really have got to assign them a mentor. That mentor has got to reach out to them and be very proactive with them in order to be able to do that. Otherwise it's, it's just tough. Right. I completely agree with you on that. Mike, I'm wondering if in your view, this is just one man's opinion, is it changed forever? Did did the pandemic change things forever? Do you think that the hybrid solution is permanent or do you think as time goes on? Because it's it's interesting in other aspects of life, you see that as time goes on, things kind of move back to the normal that existed before the pandemic. Do you think that happens with work or do you think it's permanently changed? That is the, what is it? The $60,000 question, I guess. I will say, I don't know. I would like to see that it's moving back. I mean, if you've, if you've been traveling in the air, you know, the airplanes are just as, just as packed as they were before. It seems like it's just as tough to get hotel room space. In in a lot of ways, the pandemic kind of, advanced the business, the way we do business, you know, 10 years in a matter of 10 months, you know, people are willing to engage like this. We used to, we used to get into an airplane and, you know, fly across the country and spend three days out of the office for a three hour meeting with a customer. Absolutely. And now people are willing to do this. I've done that for years and yeah, years. People are willing to do mm-hmm. the video call and it's good. I will say that being said, while it, while it's somewhat beneficial 
to do the video call, the downside of it is you're not you're not in the room with somebody. And you know what is what's the rule? Is it seven thirty eight fifty five? It's like fifty five percent of all communication is like body language and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Nonverbal, yeah. Nonverbal okay. type of communications. And, and there's this sweet spot when you're on a Teams call or a Zoom call or or whatever. You know, when you get about six seven people, everybody's video on, they're engaged. You kind of hit that level, and people start getting off of video you know, and just being audio and, you know, whether they've got bandwidth issues or, or whatever. And when you're off a of video, you know, you're multitasking, you're maybe answering an email, you're not as engaged. Plus when you're out on a face-to-face meeting, it's like, Hey, let's, how about dinner the night before? Or we yeah. have lunch in the middle of the day. And you guys know that's where business gets done. That's the and those types yeah. of more informal conversations. So I don't know whether this is permanent or not, I would personally like to see us get back to a more of a sense of normal, a pre-COVID normal in the technology space than we are today. And I think it will happen, but I think it's going to take some time. You know, at some point, we're seeing a lot of employees that just want to work remotely. And, and Lee and I were talking about this just beforehand that, you know, there are some roles that are more conducive to being in that kind of environment. There are some people, personality types mm-hmm. that are more conducive to being in that type of environment. And you want to be flexible to those folks. But there, frankly, there are some people in some roles that, that like myself, I like, I'm a people person. I like to be in office. I like to be around people. I like to engage uh, mm-hmm. in that way. And it will certainly take some time, especially in the tech mm-hmm. space. I'm, I'm hopeful that it does get back to at least more of a sense of normal than, than we are now. It's interesting in our work because I like like you mentioned for years I've taken the three day trip to have an hour or two or three hour right. meeting, but usually also with a dinner, right? A man's got to eat, Mike. You got to eat. You know that's where relationships are built. Yeah. In those, yes. in those times when you can talk about your life, whatever you know, whatever portion of it that may be. Yep. Um, uh, yeah. And I, like, I don't, our customers who are, are most, mostly carriers, our customers aren't clamoring to have us back. I don't know if you uh-huh. guys are finding that. They'll accept it now, but many of them aren't in the office. I've still kind of been grounded myself, but, uh, and well, I'm sure. Was there, can- a, you know, when you, when, if, if you were to fly out to our office, not that I would deny you anything like that, but is there just more of a tendency to say, hey, Rob and Lee are coming in, I'm going to dedicate half my day. Mm -hmm. at least to these Uh guys. Whereas when you're in this environment, it's like 90 minutes, guys, that's the best I can do. Mm -hmm. Because everybody else wants 90 minutes as well. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it does make it a little bit more difficult, but you're right. I mean, building a relationship is tough in a virtual environment, a lot Mm -hmm. tougher than maintaining an existing relationship that's already been built. Mm -hmm. In in an environment like this, but the hope is that it's it's a temporary thing. So uh, who knows? what's going to happen. I know we're in a little bit different. I mean, uh, you know, our industry requires people to be out in the field, requires people to be, you know, knocking on front doors and going through people's homes in the tech space um, from a development perspective, a QA perspective, client services, things of that nature. Um, it's, it's okay to be remote because you're on the, you're on the computer, you're on the phone dealing with clients. But from my perspective, being in office, Things just seem to progress a little bit more smoothly and a little bit more quickly because you can engage in the informal conversations between meetings. I used to hate that. Uh, I've been remote for years and Lee and the rest of our executive team at 470, when we were 470, were all in the office in Waco. And I, I always hated what I missed, what I was missing. Yeah, uh, yeah. you uh, missed a lot. Not lunch at Leal's. I never missed that. No, but you're right. You missed the uh, water cooler talk. You yeah, missed the, right. how are you this morning? Great. What do you think about this project? That's pretty cool. And the genesis, frequently the genesis of ideas Yeah. Uh, that that get thrown around. You know, most don't sprout, but some do. And, the, and those are exciting to be a part of. Let's switch gears here and talk about property estimating solutions, or do we call it PES, or I don't know what we call it, but yeah, property estimating solutions. Okay. We say that we say all three words. So um, yeah, we're we're in the middle of a rebrand. We got to keep going. With okay. It. Yes. Give us a minute. 
here's your chance to talk about whatever you want to talk about, about property estimating solutions, what's going on, what's new, what's exciting, what's what you do. Great. And I, again, guys, always appreciate the opportunity. There is there is a lot going on within the industry. I mean, apart from just inflation, supply chain issues, which impact not only our industry, but are impacting everybody in a, in a real sense. I mean, the, the, every, the price of gasoline goes up, everything goes up, right? Yep. right? It's just because everything yep. has to be delivered. It has to be, has to be, you know, either mined or, or pulled from the ground in some way and then distributed and manufactured and so on. Uh, but we're dealing with that. Um, there's a lot of really exciting things that we're shifting to on the building cost data that we, we offer okay. to be more predictive. Uh, so that we can look forward, um, you know, three, six, nine months out to to help both insurance carriers set reserves and help contractors to, you know, make a better determination of, you know, if I write this estimate and give it to you today and you're not going to have me start work for 45 days, this is what you may see as an impact in price. And let me just set that out uh, in front of you right now. From a technology perspective, um, we're continuing down the road of uh, automation and all that that means, most of the incremental automation tools that we're able to put in place today, they're heavily reliant on the hardware on which they, they reside. And I will say the mobile technology is, is just advancing at, at such a much faster rate than, than any kind of desktop uh, technology. So when you see some of the really cool advancements that are being put out by the Property Estimating Solutions Group, whether it's the, you know, the, the ability to measure and, and diagram rooms or entire ground uh, Tire floor plans and you know uh, identify materials, identify objects, identify damage. All of that you know leverages the the hardware on which it resides. So the, either the mobile devices or the handheld devices, the tablet devices, uh, or so on. So I'd say that's key for us is that type of work that the people in the field can appreciate um, on the back end for those that are in office and managing claims, managing businesses the analytic aspect of it. How can I take that data that comes back in and better slice and dice it so that I can see how my business is operating mm -hmm. so that I can make appropriate decisions, see how I'm comparing to my peers uh, in the industry uh, so that I can, I can, you know, have that competitive edge uh, or whatever, but that's everything really centers around that our customer and obviously our customer's customer. I mean, everything that we do is intended to get a consumer uh, you know, get a check in their hands more quickly and get them back in their homes more quickly once they've experienced damage. And so the more we can support our customers supporting their customers, then we're, we're going to be successful. But I know that's very high level, but, um, you know, I would just invite people to watch some of our webcasts on the things that we're producing. But I would say the, you know, at some point, are we going to get to a point where somebody can scan a room with their iPhone or with their tablet and have that automatically generate an estimate? Absolutely. Hmm. And it's not that far off. Really? Isn't that crazy to think about? It is amazing. It is I amazing. think it's so interesting because, you know, for, for years I used, I used Xactimate for years, 15, almost 20 years. And I remember hearing about the day it'll come when, you know, it'll be able to just write an estimate for you with a photo. And it was just, nobody really thought that could ever happen, but we're getting there. We're getting to where the technology yeah. It, it, you can see it. I mean, I can see the uh, roadmap and, it, and it's companies like you who are really bringing it, you know, all together. Well, and ideally that, that shifts things. I mean, you guys are, are, are part of a TPA organization. Yeah. How does that shift things for your, your end of the business at some point? How does it, as a contractor, as a restorer, how does it shift my business? Um, do I start marketing myself more directly to the consumer? Yeah. Because if the consumer can can you know submit a first notice of loss and take some photos or video with their tablet and have that generate an estimate and the carrier direct deposits a check in their bank, now I got to go find a contract. Right. You know the days of perhaps the well, I want to be cautious, but it shifts how we've got to think about what it we're does. going to be doing and what kind of service we're going to offer uh, and how we how we follow through with those. Yeah. And, and and you know we were talking with somebody just the other day about how the auto world is that the auto world is the the phone in the hand and the insurer taking the photos and direct depositing but but property is just taking a while um it's just taking a while to get there because i guess it's so much different right a, a 
Toyota is. is a Toyota, but a home is absolutely yeah. not a home. Well, and this is where we write. That's a that's a key point, Lee. So this is where we often, you know, because a lot of folks at senior leadership within within carrier organizations, when you think of the claims perspective, auto claims by sheer exponentially higher volumes occur at a greater at a greater volume than property claims. Yeah. And so obviously, often when you're looking to put someone in a leadership perspective in the property end of the business, they come from the auto end of the business because they've just got more of a wealth of experience from handling um, handling claims. But it is, it's a different animal. I mean, there's a finite number of cars, finite, each with a finite number of parts. Coverage issues are much less challenging. Right. Um, labor issues, you can, you can literally put out a labor rate schedule that it should take this many hours to replace Correct. an alternator on a, on a 2004 you know, Toyota Corolla. And it doesn't matter whether the guy's in downtown LA or in, you know, Oklahoma city, mm-hmm. they're, they're in a shop that's, that's heated in the winter and air conditioned in the summer. And their, their tools are never more than 25 feet away. And it's just, it's a different model in the, uh, on the property side. Every home is, every home at least has the potential to be and many are custom, right? We, I mean, even if you and I are living next door to each other in the same home built by the same builder in the same year, chances are one of us is remodeled and it's now different than the others. We just heard today or saw a notice today, I assume you've heard it, maybe you haven't, that uh, Flyreel was just acquired by LexisNexis. I haven't read the full release. I did see the blurb though. Fascinating. They're about using the camera on the phone to recognize what's in the picture. And these kinds of technologies are, I guess, supported by AI will be able to populate an estimate. I mean, is it, it's coming. We've built a technology. We actually showed it at Elevate a couple of years ago, but you know, it started where, and I think this was 20... I would say 2019. Losing track of years. It may have been 2019. <laughs> may have been 2020. Yeah. You could take your phone and, and point the camera at a thing and it would say, oh, that's a calculator. Add it to the estimate. Oh, that's a... That's a space heater. Add it to the estimate. That's a lamp. Add it to the estimate. And now you can scan the entire room and it, it picks up everything at once and add 30 things to your estimate. And that's great when you're doing, you know, pack out, cleaning, storage, things of that mm-hmm. nature. Replacing is is a little bit more difficult because now I got to say, you know, is that a Sony TV or is that a Vizio TV? Mm-hmm. The cost mm-hmm. to clean them is is no different, but the cost to replace them is is, is quite different. Right. And that's where the AI comes in. And it also comes in on the structural side, because if I look at, you know, if I'm scanning this room and I say, well, that's five and a quarter painted baseboard, you know, is it MDF or is it finger jointed pine or what is it? And, you know, you can, if you have some other information, such as the age of the home and the location of the home and things of that nature, you can start making some intelligent decisions about that. Mm -hmm. Is it natural stone? Is it manufactured stone? Is it if this wall is, if, if I'm in the garage and this wall is adjacent to the home, I can assume that's five eighths inch drywall. And there are things like that, that it, once you add these additional elements in, and they could be a few other questions that you're asking even a policyholder, because they don't have to be technical. They don't have to be a professional estimator to know that stuff. You can build out a, an estimate that, you know, with, uh, is it going to be 100% accurate? Likely, Likely not, not, not in a complex situation. Right. But does it get you 90% of the way there? Absolutely. Yeah. And so you're estimating by by exception. And then the, the policyholder can send that through and, and get it in the hands of a contractor. And then when they get out and start digging into the wall, digging into the roof, and they find some additional damage, then you've got supplements and contingencies and things like that that, that happen. But the savings and the efficiency is just tremendous. Tremendous. Uh, we're experimenting at our company with different ideas like that, um, as well as, you know, being involved in the process of it all. And one of the things that you, we just can't seem to get past is, is that somebody has to look at it, right? <laughs> so, I mean, at some point in time, somebody has to look at it and say, okay, this is what the computer saw. Does this make sense to me? But the impacts in, elsewhere in the process are stunning. Right, are revolutionary. Well, think of the number of claims that an insurer deals with that are. I don't want to diminish anybody's claim, but they're they're kind of you know when you think of like glass breakage mm-hmm. or you know somebody stole a bike out of my garage. You know, it's it's small things that they may not even go over the deductible. Right, but they've got to deal with them, and you can start automating things like that and creating a settlement real quickly. 
Uh, and you can get some significant savings from insurers for insurers on from that perspective. And like you said, ultimately, whoever, whether it's an auto mechanic or a body shop or the contractor that's going out and doing the restoration, somebody's going to have to go on site and strap on a tool belt and, and figure out how to take the thing apart and, and put it back together and see what other damage exists. And I, we're a world right. away from automating right. that. <laughs> not in our lifetime will they ever not have right. to send a crew out to do the repair. Right. But can you make it more, can you make it more efficient? I mean, and ultimately from the restorer's perspective, they're craftsmen. Mm -hmm. They're, they're good at, they're, they're good at putting things back together, estimating, negotiating. Certainly they've, they've become good at that, but can we make that job easier for them uh, and make sure that it's right and take some of that negotiation out of the picture? Let's talk about a, a topic that, that we've covered before, um, in time, but we're a few years later now. Let's talk about the, the the ecosystem of products out there that are relevant to Xactimate. What's the latest thinking on that? On welcoming in other the other tools, opening up the ecosystem, as they would say about Xact. I know that you guys have made strides in that direction in the past, or made changes or updates. Where, where are you with it today? I would say we're very open. We remain cautious, um, and one of the reasons we remain cautious is is a is there's a high degree of sensitivity towards data protection, and we because we're the platform upon which the industry operates, uh, and we're storing personally identifiable information. Now we're not storing credit card numbers or social security numbers, but it's amazing what people classify as potentially sensitive information. You know, you're, you're, the stuff that you could pull out of the white pages years ago mm -hmm. is now classified as personally identifiable information. So we have to be protective of that. And as stewards of that data, we're often, we have to be cautious about who we're relegating that information to from an integration perspective. So we want to make sure that whomever integrates with us um, is, is able to meet the same stringent standards we are with regard to data security and encryption and so on. Uh, and, you know, in doing so, there's a cost um, from our perspective associated with that. And so we're cautious about who who we let in. We typically, if we, and we get contacted to the tune of three, four times a week by different startups that want to integrate with us. And that's usually our first question is, which of our customers are asking for this? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's not that we're trying to prevent them from doing it, but because because there's so many and there is work involved in doing it, we've got to prioritize it. And then once they have kind of that sponsor from a, a major client or two, then we can get into the discussion of, you know, can you meet these standards uh, for us and limits of liability for cyber protection and so on. And that, unfortunately, it, it rules some of them out. Yeah. And totally. it's not our goal to do that. But beyond that, I would say, I mean, gosh, we've got 95 or so different integrations with different third parties at, at this point that are doing a number of things and continuing to open that up on a going forward basis. I, I think about priceless and one of the most important attributes of Xactimate is being able to come up with an estimate. Isn't pricing data becoming more and more of a commodity, data commodity? Like I, I was on Home Depot's website recently because I'm doing a very small little remodel and I'm going through the pages of all my choices of a door, right? And I thought to myself, here's all this pricing data right here on all these doors, right? Yeah. I mean, is that a current challenge? How, how are you dealing with that from a competitive standpoint? No, what you're, you're right. On the material side, it's becoming more uh, and more a commodity. But even then, it's, it's, it's primarily reserved towards those big box stores, the Home Depots and the Lowe's that are very organized and they've got stores from coast to coast. And, you know, the SKU number for this sheet of 716 OSB is the same in LA as it is in Columbus, Ohio. And so the material side, it's, it's becoming more ubiquitous, as, as they say. The, the challenge on the material side is that a lot of the suppliers whom contractors prefer to do business with because of the service that they offer and the quality of the materials that they offer are not the ones that are that organized. So it's very tough to get that kind of information built into the built into the system. But beyond that, the labor side of it is really where the gold is. And I think that's where we've 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 got something that sets us apart. And it's not just labor rates, but it's understanding how much 
time it takes for a carpenter to install that sheet of 716 OSB on a wall versus a roof deck versus a cable, a gable end where you're, you're wasting 20% of it uh, and so on. And, and, you know, knowing what the nailing pattern needs to be for, you know, the current shear strength in that local market and so on. Is that difficult to estimate whenever we have a labor shortage, right? Whenever inflation is high, when it's hard to find people to do the job, is that yes. difficult? And how, how is that handled? Yeah. So you got, you got the, the labor rate. What's the hourly rate I'm paying this person plus all the burden. And therefore what's the hourly rate I'm billing for this person mm-hmm. and then the productivity. And you, you have to look at both of those things. You can't look at either one of them and, and, uh, and, and point to a singular issue. But when it comes to demand surge, it's the actual labor rate. What, what, what do I charge for this person? And the interesting thing is when you get into a post storm situation, well, demand surge is always directly impacted by what is the ability for the local market to service that storm. Okay. Right. So heaven forbid, you know, hurricane comes into Houston, Texas or Galveston, Texas, whatever. Um, you know, what's the ability for the local contractor market to service and take care of the damage of that storm? And that's always going to be directly proportional to what was what was the construction market like pre-storm. Right. If you're in a depressed time, a lot of people sitting around. You're not going to get much of a demand surge. You're not going to have to bring people in from Alabama and, and Oklahoma and in uh, New Mexico. But if everybody that's that's got a hammer is busy swinging it on a job, then then you got to bring people in from other areas. Now, what we're in right now is it seems like everybody that's got a hammer and knows how to swing it is working, regardless of where you are in the yeah. country. So if we have a if we have a storm hit, where are you going to bring people from in from? That's a great question. And that's the unknown. Yeah. We we really don't know. Um, and it's like, you know, we're going to we're going to closely monitor it. But like, what's likely going to happen is you're going to see both a, a a big increase in the cost of labor and then a tremendous increase in the time to repair. Yeah, that's the thing right there. Is the time to repair. I see houses going up next to my house, and they used to take you know maybe nine months or six months or whatever to build. And it's taking six months to get windows alone. Yes. And so that just yeah. drags out. And if it's a damaged home, hopefully it's taken care of where it's not, you know, still raining on it. But I mean, it, it just costs more the longer it takes, right? If you've got to put a policyholder out of their home and pay for additional living mm-hmm. expense for now for nine months instead of three months, that's a significant impact. And I, I mean, we talk about inflation impacting everyone and you know an insurance carrier is they build their premiums based upon what the expected claim cost is going to be i had a chief underwriting officer tell me one time he said i can underwrite your home while it's on fire he said you won't like the premium but he said i can i can do it and so it's all i mean premium is based upon anticipated claims and i mean their inflation is is eating their lunch oh, yeah more quickly than they can adjust premiums to take care of it, let alone setting reserves. Uh, you know, when a claim occurs today and they know it's not going to get fully paid out for another four to five months. Contractors the same way. How does a you know contractor, I used to be able to give an estimate to somebody and say, this is good for 60 right. days, 90 days. Now it's like. You don't even know that it's good that day, tomorrow. Yeah, you yeah. Or you write that into your contract if changes happen. Yeah, that, that that's what I saw. One of the contractors who I work out with, I was talking to him. He goes, no, every contract I write, say that's what it will be today. You can just assume it'll be a 20% or 30% more when, when we're done because he's got to get paid. Wow. It's hard. Yeah. So you're an auto guy, even though you're not I an like auto cars. guy. You're a property guy, but let's but deep in your heart. When you go home at night, you're an auto guy, right? True. Yeah, I like you like cars. You restore cars. Is that true? I have done a few. I've I've promised my wife that uh, you know, in order to stay married, I would I would kind of scale back. You're a recovering auto restorer. Recovering auto restorer. Uh huh. Uh -huh. It's one day at a time, Mike. So now I just buy them that are already restored. <laughs> that's what a novel concept. That's <laughs> like like me. When you get a little bit older, you're like, nah, I really don't want to do it. I want it to be delivered, done. Um, There's so cars. Sorry, I'm going to diverge and get into the weeds, but it's more fun to restore. See, being a contractor, 
what was so cool about doing that is I could build a thing and I'd know it was going to be there for years. Right. And people are going to get appreciation from it. And I like, I, I can't sit around. That's just a, a personality flaw of mine. So I like restoring things. I like taking things apart and fixing them and, and putting them back together and restoring an old car. I love seeing it when it's done and saying, Hey, I did that. But I have come to the conclusion that, you know, old cars are great to look at, not so much to drive yeah. every day. I, I do like the modern conveniences of, of the newer cars. Yes. We have an enormous event. I live right near a big park and there's an enormous event there twice a year where I'm guessing every lowrider car in Northern California gathers, <laughs> including ones that are trailered there. They trailer them. You don't want to put miles on an old sure. car. Then they take them down off the trailer and drive them around inside the park. They're gorgeous, sure. beautiful to look at, uh, yeah. but probably not as gorgeous and beautiful to drive, I'm guessing. Not every day. Because they are 50, 60-year-old cars. Yeah, the latest one I did was a 1987 Jeep Grand Wagoneer. Oh, you know, with the faux wood paneling on the side and I put a little bit of a lift kit on it, but the Jeeps, I mean, and I'm a Jeep guy, so I'm not cutting any Jeep guys out, but Jeeps have, have historically, especially the older ones have got this bump steer thing where, you know, you're going down the freeway at 70 miles an hour and you hit a bump and <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> takes your steering wheel like that. And um, Not the best. Well, it takes some getting used to. You don't have that in, in the- If you vehicles. should live that long. You better just pay attention. <laughs> Keep both hands. 10 and 2, baby. 10 and 2. So would you guys ever do an auto product? I mean, I'm sure I'm sure the question's been asked in the past. Yeah, question is always asked. Um, there are some big players out there that have the market. And, you know, could we do it? Yes. You know, you not only have to build the product and invest in it, but then you've got to you've got to gain the market share off of some existing incumbents that are leaders in that space. Um, so I would say, you know, never say never, but that's typically where we've landed is probably that we won't maybe, maybe look at some other opportunities within the auto space, especially, especially with the autonomous cars, who knows what's going to happen to the auto claims industry with autonomous vehicles, uh, right. Oh, yeah. is, and how that's going to impact it. Um, are there other areas within the auto market that you could, that might be more effective perhaps? I, it, I wonder if the expect the expectation must be that there's going to be fewer accidents. The thing is, is that the, if you look at the inventory of cars today, I think I heard a number. I don't know if this is correct. That there's 290 million cars in the United States, and uh, it's probably reasonable, right? Um, I think I've got five of them <laughs> for you and your wife. Well, you know, <laughs> there's five days in the week, so. So, so there's a lot of cars, but there's a lot of properties too. I mean, I think property is harder. Homes, yeah, property, property is, is hard. Property is harder. Yeah. No standardization. Perspective, sure. Yep. Like you said, a Jeep is a Jeep from the same year yeah. until you get your hands on it, of course. That's right. Until yeah. they lift it up. Even coverage, coverage issues are so much more challenging on the property side, you know, and because, because of the things that you put within your home. And, and, you know, where, where the home is sitting and a car is, they've built into those coverage areas and, and the risk identifiers, you know, that I'm going to be driving it in whatever it is, a hundred mile radius around this home and they see the kind of accidents and so on. But it's, it's just a, it's just a different animal. Do you, do you feel that that policy complexity, et cetera, is part of the moat that you guys have ar around your business? I don't know. I don't think that's it. I think that, I mean, we, we got into this area of the industry at the right time. The founder of our organization started it up in 1986. He was a general contractor that, you know, he, he was infatuated with the personal computer that was coming out at the time and said, there's got to be a way rather than me handwriting all of these estimates and, you know, hired a programmer of which there was probably only a half a dozen in Northern Utah at that time. Sure. To write the thing. And, sure. you know, I think it was just a matter of, of right place at the right time. There are certainly others, were others even at the time, but we we gained the market share and you know did so by taking care of our customers, listening to them, partnering with them on what they need, and you know going through the industry and you're kind of leading where you should, following where you should, uh, and so on. Um, we still get together with our major clients 
shoot for at least twice annually so that we can compare roadmaps and just make sure that we're we're aligning. But I don't think that we've got anything special from that perspective other than we've got the history, we've got the brand, we stay innovative, we engage with our customers. I think the building cost data is key. And when you can effectively tell somebody what the cost to repair that home will be, I think the weather data that we offer is 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 solid gold because you know if you can think of can I tell Rob with a high degree of accuracy that a claim actually did occur on that property on that date that he claimed that's number 1 and then can I effectively say here's what it should cost to restore your property number 2 if you can have those two things the rest of it isn't I mean certainly innovation from an automation perspective is key but those are I think those are the unique things that we offer so I was at your conference this year at Elevate. I have my hat, by the way. It's just over there. I saw you. Me. Didn't and recognize uh, you with the hat. I know, even better looking with the hat on. Yes. It, it throws a lot of people <laughs> yeah. off. You're not alone. <laughs> Small this year. I mean, just really, the it was like the first conference out of coming out of COVID. Right. Yeah. Um, big plans for next year? Back again? Absolutely. Back again and hope to be back to pre-COVID levels. I mean, if you look at some of the other recent conferences, they've been up in that range. So we, you know, we had some people telling us, hey, it's, you know, it's a great conference, but it's kind of small. And we said, you're right, but you guys were pioneers. We're breaking the ice. Thanks for being here. Um, it's been really helpful. We really opened that up before a lot of the insurers, frankly, had op- started opening up their travel plans. And so most right. of the attendance that we had back in February was were contractors and IAs and, and TPAs and so on, not so many from the carrier perspective. But yeah, our goal is to continue on with that and hope it hope it to be even bigger and better than it was in 2022. I mean, in 2020. I'm it's sure one of our be. favorites. Isn't it one of our favorites, Lee? It is absolutely one of our favorites. I didn't get to go this last year, but I sure hope I'm there this year. I think I wanna... Mike asked for you to not attend. Actually. No, I don't think so. I remember <laughs> Mike saying, I'm going to wait for you to be at the next one. No, we're happy to have you guys, but not, not that, not that not boy. That guy. Guy. I didn't last, say that at all. Last question. <laughs> last question before we go today. Chattahoochee Technical College. Put your hand on your heart when you say that. <laughs> <laughs> Where is that college located? So it's a, it's a couple of colleges now. It's in the northern Atlanta area. Area When I attended, it was called North Metro Tech. Oh, okay. Um, and okay. I, I picked it just because it was close. Uh, it was close by, but it was a decent technical school, you know, that focused on a lot of, uh, a lot of different technology with regard to computer repair, et cetera. And they even had kind of a, you know, kind of a trade uh, technical arm of it as well. But yeah, it's, and it wasn't changed to Chattahoochee Technical until I think five, 10 years ago, but gosh, oh, wow. when I went, guys, that was back. It in, worked out for you. It worked out for you. Yeah. I liked what it was called back then better. North Metro. Yeah. I, I did. I well, I did name. too. Yeah. Let's Chattahoochee. Chattahoochee is the name of the river, the, the river. main river that flows through the Atlanta area. It's a big river. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big like river. With their, and nice those thing. of, those of my age, remember the old Chattahoochee raft races that happened every summer that were quite the, quite the summer event. Um, quite dangerous if you were in the wrong company, but um, it was, <laughs> sure. those were good times. Uh-huh. But that was back in back in the seventies. Uh huh. Did they have a football team? Did, well, do they have a football team today? <laughs> we're going to ask our audience. Oh, to answer about my that school. Question. I'm talking about it. I'm talking about Atlanta. No, the school doesn't have, <laughs> didn't have a football team. Spoken like a Falcon fan. <laughs> yeah, I'm. Yeah, I sadly. That's and they've made it so hard to be a fan. But yeah. I lived there for a lot of years. We love having you on, always, and are so grateful for you to make time because we know that you're an important guy who has important things to do with his time. We appreciate that you wasted a little of it with us. So yeah, not wasted at all, guys. I always appreciate this. It's good to connect. I love getting out in front of folks in the industry. I've had been out to some recent conferences that have been really helpful. But it's just. It's good to talk. Good to talk industry stuff. Do you have a conference to tell us about? Anything that's that you've gone to that you've made you say, "Wow, this is a really good one." Well, I was at the uh, I was at the RIA conference. Was at the DKI conference. Uh, had some good engagement with the uh, with the restore community, mm-hmm. uh, and I've just been been really pleased with the feedback that we've been getting from that that side of the industry. 
I mean, we're working to to move things forward. They understand. They understand the innovation. They understand the challenges on the inflation side for building cost because mm-hmm. it's it's hitting them significantly as it is uh, everyone else. Uh, and you know, people just like they like the straight. They just like people to be honest with them and let mm-hmm. them know what's going on, uh, and you know, not not try and sell them anything that they don't need. It's just I I enjoy that. Um, I can relate to that side of the industry. I mean, I'm a CPCU as well, so I can relate to the insurer side of the industry uh, yeah. also. But I mean, my roots are my roots are in the construction business. Well, as a alumni of what's currently known as the Chattahoochee State Technical College, Google it. Think. Google, Google it. it. Yes, Chattahoochee Tech. I can't even tell you what the school song is. Uh, well, I was hoping that you would know the, what the mascot is. Let's take that up on the next podcast. Next year. I agree. Next year. I agree. You have homework. You have homework. Okay. Always well, a thank, pleasure, guys. Thank you, Mike. Thanks, Always Mike. a pleasure. Take care. Always a pleasure to have Mike on. Always. Always. He's smart. He's thoughtful. And like you said, offline, Mike is such a polished professional and so able to communicate yeah. effectively. It's a pleasure to have him. It is. And it's, it, and it's really neat to see what all is going on there at bare risk. Yeah. The, the, the name is changing for certain things, but they're still doing everything they can in the insurance space. And, and it really is neat to have Mike on to take a little time out of his day, out of his year to come talk to us. And we really appreciate that. A- absolutely. And, uh, and we thank you for being with us and hope that what you learned today is of value and benefit to you. And if it was, send us an email or just send us, just send us some money. <laughs> Yeah, you choose the denomination. That's right. We'll take any Bitcoin. It's one, three, or five cents. Mm -hmm. Please, nothing over five cents. Mm -hmm. To um, FNO InsureTech, PO Box, anywhere, anywhere, USA. We ought to set up like a Zelle or something. Yeah, Venmo or we should some some place that people could ignore. Yeah. Thank you for being with us. Thank you to our production team and. We'll say to you what we say every single episode. Goodbye, everybody.